So today we're going to talk about the application prep for medical school. This is being brought to you by the Explore Center located in 33 Canfield. First of all, we're going to cover some slides that have glossary. Um, this is important because throughout the application process, you're going to hear a lot of abbreviations and acronyms and different things that the application services as well as advisors will use. So I'm going to familiarize you with these a little bit so when we use them throughout the presentation and future presentations, you'll know what we're talking about. Um, most of these are pretty self-explanatory, so I won't read through them, but obviously um, the fee assistance program we'll talk about, the med medical college admissions test, which is the entrance exam you'll use for all medical schools. We're going to use three different application services, the AAMC, which is our allopathic service, AACOM, which is our osteopathic program, and then TMD-SAS is our Texas Centralized Application Services for medical schools and dental schools. Um, all of those are primary applications and we'll send applications out to everybody that you're applying to. Um, you may have special programs you apply to. You'll hear us refer to early decision program. Um, many students will use this with UNMC, but there are also early decision programs at other medical schools that you can visit with an advisor about to see if it's a good idea. Um, you'll also apply to MD-PhD programs, MD-MPH programs, all of those through the centralized application services. Um, you might want to consider foreign medical schools. We'll talk about this more as an option if you're not accepted, um, but we have had students look at foreign medical schools as a first option, um, so we'll use that language. Personal comments, also referred to as narrative or essay. Your secondary application is directly to the schools you're applying to. Uh, when we talk about GPA calculations, we're going to use your science GPA. Most of the time that's referred to as BCPM, which is your biology, chemistry, physics, and math. Um, other centralized application services will do a combination of science, but usually those are the ones we're talking about. And you'll also hear us refer to your all other GPA, which will be anything that's not calculated as science. The letters are pretty diverse. And so the language you use when we talk about letters of recommendation, they fit into the letters of evaluation. You hear about Interfolio, which is a service that you'll use for the osteopathic schools. Um, you'll have to talk about a right to access and a waiver for some of the application services. You'll see language on med school websites that will talk about the pre-med advisory committee or a pre-health advisor letter. And then the faculty also are defined by the medical schools in terms of science and non-science. You'll start to see language about different interview formats, and we'll talk about this briefly in this presentation because some of this you'll want to prepare for um, during this year. Individual group and MMI. MMI is a multi-format um, multi where you're going to be interviewing in several rooms doing small scenarios. Um, some medical schools are using this and it's growing in popularity. And there's also the language of acceptance, rejection, waitlist, deferral, exit interview, and post-bac programs. So this presentation is going to run through several of the steps that you need to be thinking about as you're entering the year before you want to matriculate to medical school. So this is ideal if you're in your junior year, if you're a traditional student coming to the university and you're in your um, starting your third year or rising into your third year of school. Also, we think about this if you're a fifth year and you're backing up a step you decided to come to the med process late, um, you may just be thinking about the year before you want to matriculate. So we don't talk about it in terms so much as junior year. We're gonna break this out into several steps to determine if you qualify for the fee assistance program, planning for the MCAT, 
developing your resume. We'll do a transcript review, talk about how you can get feedback from admissions reps. We'll plan on securing your letters, draft your essay, and preparing for interviews so you have a busy year ahead of you. We'll start with the fee assistance program. We like to talk about this now because this is something that you need to plan for in advance because it does require documentation from your families. And also you need to do this before you register for the MCAT. Um, it's called different things between the different associations, but generally this is a program that will qualify you for many things related to the medical school application process. There's information available on the AAMC website about this, and then also AACOM has their own fee assistance program. Some of the examples of things that you'll receive through the fee assistance program at reduced or free benefits would be access to exam prep materials, waivers or reduced exam fees, um, lots of resources for researching schools. Many of the times they'll provide the directories available to you for free. And the centralized application will have waivers and then many of the schools, if you qualify for the fee assistance program, will also waive their secondary application fees. So it's well worth looking into if you think you may qualify. All the qualifying information is available on the website. And I always tell a student, um, don't assume that you will not qualify um, because many times I've had students um, actually receive the benefits and, and they were surprised. The one thing that's difficult with this program is it does require all parental information, even if you consider yourself to be an emancipated minor and with no contact to your parents or your parents are deceased. Um, you still have to provide some financial information on this. Um, so they have a full history of you as a potential applicant for fee assistance. So um, I always tell students to be prepared for that, especially our non-traditional students who have not been with their parents for a very long period of time and truly are living on their own. They'll still have to go back and get some of those um, financial records from their adult parents. The MCAT. So a few of the general guidelines um, first. You need to think about, are you applying for regular early decision so that you can time out the MCAT appropriately? Um, you also need to look and work with an advisor to make sure that you have all of your MCAT required coursework completed prior to taking the exam. And also, are you giving yourself the opportunity to repeat if needed? The MCAT's offered several times throughout the year, January through mid-September. Currently, there's an AM administration, a PM administration, and a double administration. So the double administration just means that they're offering AM and PM in the same day. So what you have the ability to do is say, am I a morning person for taking tests? Am I more an afternoon person for taking the test? Which will give you the most flexibility? The AAMC at their website, which I have listed here, you'll register there, but you'll also have access to all of the information about the MCAT and access to future schedules. So there'll be the current one listed as well as the next year in most cases depending on when you access the website. Um, the information on current fees will be listed and they'll do everything through this online site. Be sure to use your legal name and remember your information because you'll need to use the same information when you apply through the medical school application systems so that your MCAT score and your med application match up. The other thing at this time, we encourage you to release your scores to advisors. This will help us work with you better if you come in and you want some advice on what to do with the score you received. General information about the MCAT is a time-standardized multiple-choice test which is designed to assess your problem-solving, critical thinking, and um, in some cases your writing skills. The verbal reasoning will assess your grammar and your ability to put sentences together. 
So we want to make sure that you do have good reading and writing skills. Your scores will represent a combination of skill and content areas. We call these subscores. On the MCAT, you have subscores in biological sciences, which is a representation of biology and organic chemistry coursework. Physical sciences, which is a representation of physics and general chemistry. And then the verbal reasoning section, as I said, is a combination of reading long passages in a variety of areas, usually outside of the sciences, to assess your ability to comprehend what you're reading and your use of vocabulary. Um, the MCAT will change in 2015. We'll have more information on that available um, later on in 2014. With the MCAT, we want to double check when students ask, well, how should I perform on the MCAT? What scores do I need? And we use this as a guideline for competitiveness. So when you're looking at what schools to apply to, research your schools to see what the numbers mean for that particular program, and that will help you determine a timeline for application. We want to make sure that you allow enough time for a repeat if needed. Um, it takes 30 days to get your scores back. So if you're thinking about early decision program when you're figuring out when you want to take the MCAT, July would be the latest exam you can do for an early decision program. And just be forewarned that you're taking that exam without and applying without knowing your score because your score will not be received back until after the early decision deadline of August 1st. So that will be a blind application. Um, when you're looking at schools and you're trying to determine which schools you would like to apply to, um, don't be so concerned about the numbers when you're looking at the averages and the range. Um, we use these as a baseline for determining your strengths um, and also where to apply. The numbers for the MCAT will also be viewed in terms of how you did in the coursework. So when the medical schools are looking at your subscores, they'll also look at your academic transcript to see how you performed in the classes where those grades might correlate. The MCAT scored with a maximum of 45. Um, so a test taker average right now is 30, but we see these averages going up. Um, this year, for example, it's more along the lines of a 31. The actual average, you take a 45, is a 24 and a half. But medical schools, that number says, yeah, you can handle the rigor of the medical school, but the reality is a 24 is not going to be competitive because the test taker average is so high. But it gives you a sense if you take a test without doing any prep and you score within the range of 24, you're not doing too bad. That means that with some prep and some finalizing of your subscore information, you should do okay on the actual test. Um, there's 15 possible in each area. The subscore, any subscore below eight can raise concerns for a medical school. And if you go back to that actual average, that's an eight subscore in each area. Generally, a subscore below six will raise concern and will want to do a repeat. So um, if you look at your composite score, we've had students that have had really high composite scores with a subscore in one area of six or below. Generally, even though that composite's really high, the student will have to do a repeat to try and balance out your subscores across the three areas. You'll want to know the range of MCAT scores accepted by schools. You're at the ideal is you're at the average or above, that would be the best, um, but in range is the minimum. If you want to apply to a medical school and the range is a 30 to 36 and you're a 27, I probably wouldn't apply to that medical school. However, if you're within the range, it's a possibility that could be one of your schools that you apply to as um, a risk school or a school that you just want to take a chance at. To get ready for the MCAT, we want you to take a full length timed practice exam on a computer because that's the way you're going to test. This will help us identify weaknesses and help you learn the test format in advance. Then you can go along and establish your baseline for improvement 
and decide then where do you need to go with the scores that um, you want to achieve for the medical schools you want to get into. <laughs> this will also help you develop a prep plan. Um, there are many different options. Some students will look at spending the money on commercial, and this is an expensive route. Other students will do it individually, and there are many great resources for preparing on your own. Um, AAMC has some really good information available from the official guide to the MCAT, as well as a self-assessment package, which will allow you to take practice tests and then also practice content material by receiving feedback along the way. Uh, many times you can pair your own resources together, uh, much cheaper than a commercial prep, but some students feel the commercial prep in its structured format does provide them with some tools. Um, there's no statistical data to say one is better than the other. It's really a personal preference based on your own learning style. Some keys to success with the MCAT, you need to allow four to six months minimum. Um, this is assuming that you have all of your content area covered and that you did well in your content courses. Um, summer prep does not always mean that you'll have more time. So I often caution students to avoid the mindset that you'll not prep during the spring semester and you'll just do it all in the summer because you'll have more time. If you think about what you like to do in the summer, that's usually more important than the MCAT. And so you won't put as much time into it as you think. Um, so we encourage students to take that time to practice test early and then beginning at least in January, start doing your prep throughout the semester so that you can break it up in between the rest of the classes that you're taking. We want you to take practice tests and time conditions with doing review in between, and that way you can see how you're progressing on your content review, but also you're continually building up that um, endurance that you need for the mental exam when it takes place. Practice as much on the computer as possible in timed conditions, rather than just going through questions and kind of practicing um, at your leisure. You'll find that the exam moves a lot quicker than what you expected, so timed conditions will help you develop that mental skill. Also work on your math and logic skills without a calculator because this will help you when you're in the physics section as well as the general chemistry section when you're working with formulas. And be sure to have a plan in place to change your test date if you're not ready. And that way if you've allowed yourself enough time you can step back and maybe move the test one month if something happens in the spring semester and you were not able to put as much time into it as you wanted to. There will be a fee assessed with that however. So we finished with the MCAT prep and you've worked through those. Now we're gonna move into getting your narrative resume together. We call it a narrative resume because this is going to be more detailed than what you would supply on a typical resume for a job or an internship. Um, this is something that is going to be all the extracurricular information that you need for your medical school application. In the sense of a narrative resume, it's more inclusive. We're going to include all activities outside of class, not just those activities that might be important for the purpose original resume was used for. Review all of your application resources in advance because many times you can see what types of activities and how will you categorize them when you're working on your narrative resume. And you can set your resume up using the language of the application. So if something in an application service calls it employment, you can set your narrative resume up to refer to it as employment. If it talks about it as being a work activity, you can refer to it as a work activity. Um, AAMC, for example, uses language of paid employment military, paid employment not military. So I've had some students break a narrative resume out using that same language. But start to see what are the categories the med schools will be looking for and set your resume up accordingly. Um, one thing, do not assume that information is not important to the medical school. They want to know how you qualify your class, your time outside of classes. 
So if you work selling shoes, that's a perfectly good thing to put on an application. Um, if you go in saying it's not important and it turns out that it is, um, then you could be presenting a minimized application to the medical schools. Anything in your print application really is going to trump what you bring up in interview. So that's why we want to make sure that the narrative resume is as inclusive as possible. Looking through your history from college up to the point of application, if it's happened, you want to include it. If it hasn't happened yet, you want to make sure that you at least bring it up in the secondary applications or during interviews. But be sure if it's happened, it's included. If you accidentally exclude something, you'll want to be sure that you provide information to the medical schools in some way so that it can be considered. The reason why they do this is it's a credibility issue. A lot of times it's easier for students to talk about things that they have done, but if they're not willing to write it down on paper, the medical schools can sometimes question whether or not it really happened. And so we just want to make sure for integrity purposes you put as much down in print as possible. When you're working on your narrative resume, you can start to determine the character limits that you'll use for the entries. This is where the AACOM for osteopathic and the AAMC AMCAS vary a little bit. Um, AAMC for AMCAS will use more characters than what you'll use on the osteopathic application. So you'll just want to describe the information in your character limits as thoroughly as possible for someone who doesn't know the activity, but also have a good idea of how you would pare that down if you're not going to have as many characters. Within your character limits, you'll want to qualify and quantify your involvement. So even though it may ask for an average number of hours that you spent per week, um, you'll want to include in your description the total number of hours you've been in an activity. So an example of this, if you've been doing a volunteer experience for an entire year, you'll want to say what was the average number of hours per week, but then if you want to include in that description that you have 150 hours of volunteer work at this particular place, it communicates a lot stronger what was your total time commitment to that organization. You can include some things from high school as long as they're relevant to the application to medical school or if it's something that you've continued with. So students who have been doing volunteer at the same place since they were in high school or they started working someplace as a CNA while they were finishing up high school. Those would be things that you could continue to include because they are relevant. Um, also, students that have done some national or health-related academies, scholar academies related to the health professions, those things can be included also because it shows that you were involved and on the health professions track even at a young age. And the last piece is to collect all contact information for a person who can verify your involvement. Um, the applications do allow you to lump some things together so that you have like activities, but you'll want to be sure that you have at least one person that can verify either the current involvement you had or who might be able to talk about all of the involvement. And now we're going to talk about transcripts. So we're shifting over to the academics. You'll want to print review an unofficial transcript for all colleges and universities that you have coursework. It's important to do this early because you may have discrepancies. We've had students find a non-report grade for a class, for example, when they thought a grade had actually been turned in. They just had never paid attention to it or students have thought they completed it incomplete and had a grade already, but in actuality it had not been completed yet or at least a grade had not been turned in. Once you send your transcripts in and your application is finalized, you cannot update your academic information with any of the application services for med school. So it'll be important to have any discrepancies taken care of before you submit them. So reviewing this will give you a chance to see how it looks. 
Also, you can use your unofficial transcripts to calculate your science and your non-science GPA. This will give you a sense that you can look at it and say, well, am I in range for the school that I want to apply to? Also, for some schools, you might see where you might need to beef up your science GPA a little bit by taking some additional classes prior to the application time frame. This would be something you'd want to do early in the year before applying to medical school, not in the final semester before submitting application. When you're doing your transcript review, pay attention to your trends. Is there a semester on there that maybe was an anomaly? So you had two real high semesters, all of a sudden dropped a semester, and then you started to bring it back up. Um, this would be something that at some point in the med application you're probably going to want to talk about. Um, also, paying attention to your trends. Do they increase or decrease? Um, a decreasing trend may be something that holds your application for another year because med schools want to see academic trends coming up, not going down. So we're looking for red flags, basically, in a transcript review. Since it's all college and university transcripts that are being sent to the centralized application, you want to become familiar with the procedure for requesting an official transcript from each of your colleges and universities. This does include all colleges and university credit that you have even from high school. Um, some students forget that they had college credit from a community college for something that they didn't feel was very important until they see it on the UNL transcript. The UNL transcript will not serve as verification or coursework transferred to the university, and that's why it will be important that you start to collect all college and university transcripts. Um, there are some exceptions on your foreign transcripts depending on where you did a study abroad, um, but some study abroad course, courses do need to be validated on a transcript. It all depends on the school and the application service. You'll see language about a transcript request form. This will be available through the centralized application service at the time that you're filling out that application. You'll print one of these and provide that to each of your schools to send in with the official transcript so that your transcript and your application can be matched up. So now that we have some information about what you do outside of class, you know what your narrative transcript or know what your transcript looks like, you've identified some things, we're going to start figuring out how this looks to the medical schools. You want to start seeking feedback from your medical school reps so that you have a sense of how they would look at you as a potential applicant during this year. You can sign up for professional school visits, we call those PSVs, with the Explore Center where we bring many different programs in. You'll also want to visit campuses or attend open houses. Um, look for some of this information through the Explore Center when we advertise it through Blackboard, Facebook, or Twitter, but also contact programs because some campuses have limited opportunities for visits. Um, you can visit a campus, but there will not be anything formal um, for you to do there ex as an example. Most of the time, then you can be doing it through email or a phone call. Also, many times we will sponsor presentations from different schools and could be hosted by us or by clubs and organizations. Uh, many times our osteopathic and our foreign medical schools will do this because they want to speak to a larger audience and they may not have the familiarity for many students to sign up for individual visits, so they'll oftentimes do large school presentations. And then also by talking to the schools, you can start to learn about the different program options that they have. So if you're interested in doing some study abroad, you can talk to them and see if they have study abroad opportunities while you're in medical school or what opportunities you have for service. Um, also, a little bit about some of the dual degree programs that they may have that you would like to get involved with. When you have any visits with admissions personnel, make sure that you bring your narrative resume that you've developed and also an unofficial transcript 
so that they can look through your information and see how you would look as a potential candidate. Many times um, their job is to help you get into the professional program, um, but they also don't want you to waste your money if they can obviously look at things and say that at this time it would not be a good idea to apply. Um, what concerns would they have? Do they see decreasing trends? Do they see um, that you're missing certain things in your extracurricular activities? Are you missing clinical exposure or healthcare exposure that would be important for them in the application process? Or is it a medical school that has um, heavy commitment to service and they do not see that you have a lot of service on your application so therefore they want you to take some more time and do some volunteering and community service work. We want to use their feedback then to guide the rest of the application. This might include whether or not they suggest it's a good idea to apply for an early decision program or in general if you're applying for a regular decision, do they feel like you're missing some things and they would suggest that you delay application. Um, as I said, this might be missing extracurriculars that you need to have. Um, maybe you just decided to come to the health professions late and you haven't had time to develop these thoroughly, um, or you may not be presenting enough of your prerequisites at the time of application. All of these things they'll want to take into consideration and may impact when you apply. If they suggest or looking at things it's a better idea for you to not apply, what options could be affordable for a delayed application? Are you prepared to step away and not apply this upcoming cycle as you had planned? Um, and what might be a way to prepare for that? Sometimes that's not preparing you, sometimes that's preparing your parents. Using admissions feedback, there are a lot of ways to strengthen the application. Sometimes admissions programs will suggest formal post-bac programs. These are programs that are done across the country, oftentimes associated with medical schools, but sometimes they're tied to undergraduate programs. If you had decreasing trends, sometimes they'll suggest academic record enhancer programs, which are intense programs to improve your science GPA and immerse you in coursework similar to what you'll see in the medical programs. And then you'll follow up with a repeated or an MCAT at the end of it, and then apply to professional school after you've completed the program. Others are called career changers. These are really good if you were not pre-medicine until recently, and maybe you've only completed one or two science courses. It might be worth graduating from the university and looking at a structured post-bac program designed for career changes, changers um, because they would be able to immerse you in medical school experiences, research, and also clinical experiences that would be beneficial for you when you do apply uh, the next year. Also, we've worked with students to sometimes delay graduation and take upper level sciences in that next year. This would be a benefit if you have decreasing trends and you can delay graduation because you would have then three additional semesters to present to the medical school that they could see on your transcript rather than a one semester, which is a downward trend. Um, this is usually easy to do. Sometimes it means that we look and add a major, do a dual matriculation, do a couple minors. We wanna try and make the coursework valuable, but the key would be using the feedback from the admissions programs to take the type of courses they want to see. Um, Sometimes students will graduate. This can be a good idea if your GPA is solid, but the concerns might be that you need additional clinical or health-related experiences. By graduating, if your GPA is okay, um, that gives you time to work full-time or um, even part-time with some additional experiences along the side that would beef up the academic, uh, excuse me, the narrative transcript part of your application. Um, we need to secure our letter writers during this year. 
Letter writers are called different things by different application services. Basically, these are going to people who are going to qualify your application in the academic area or in the non-academic setting. Um, letters of evaluation is the terminology that the AAMC uses. Letters of recommendation or evaluation is used by our osteopathic programs. Generally, this is part of our secondary application, but your primary application will not be considered complete until the letters are received. So it's very important that you work with your letter writers to be completing the application process um, timed with when you're planning on having everything submitted for the programs. The longer the letters take to get in, many times your application's not being reviewed by the committees or in some cases, um, you're not even being invited for interview until the file's complete. Your letter writers will upload letters to a secure server, um, or in some cases, they'll send them directly to medical schools. So some of the things that will vary between the systems, um, some systems will require that you either waive or retain your right to access as allowed by FERPA. These systems will have you sign something electronically and then your letter writers are able to see that you have waived or retained your right to access. Some systems will send all letters to the schools without the ability to determine which letters go to which schools. Uh, TMD SAS is this way. And some schools will let you pick which letters are sent to which schools. This works with the interfolio system that the osteopathic schools use because you set up a, uh, an account on your own and then as the letters come in, you basically send the letters to the medical schools. Um, AAMC works this way through AMCAS because you have your mailbox that all the letters kind of come into and then you say which letters are going to which schools. You should start working this year to figure out who can be your letter writers. Um, first thing you should do is research in advance what are the requirements for the different medical schools so that if a letter writer is going to be writing the same letter for multiple schools they know which programs those are going to, and you know which letters you can use most efficiently across multiple programs. Your writers should know you well. This doesn't mean that it has to be the class where you receive the best grade, because maybe where you had the A, you didn't develop a relationship with the professor by going in, in their uh, office hours. So the class maybe with a B plus is actually the class that should write the letter. Consider also with your coursework and your faculty, or excuse me, your letter writers, who can talk about transferable and desirable skills for medical school and the medical profession. So it might be a class where you did a lot of teamwork or they were able to see some things that required a little bit higher level thinking and ability to problem solve besides just performing well in the class and they could talk about some of those things in the letter. Uh, may also be oral communication, written communication skills that would be desirable and transfer well to the medical school environment. Also, will that same writer be used for multiple application systems? So if you're applying allopathic to AMCAS and you're applying osteopathic to ACOMAS, then that same letter writer will need to send the letter to two different systems. And so you'll want to communicate with your letter writers what your plans are for applying to medical school so that they know how many letters to send in. Um, it's frustrating when a student says, oh, and I'm also applying here and I'm also applying there, and we haven't planned for those letters to be uploaded or sent. And you want to visit if there will be time constraints for them. Are they going to be on a leave of absence or a sabbatical? Or if in a particular semester when you're expecting them to write a letter, do they have increased teaching or research demands on their schedule? And it means that even though they may have time right now to write the letter, they won't be prepared to write the letter in the future. When looking at how many faculty members to have, we want to have a mix of faculty. 
most medical schools will define this as someone who's taught you in a classroom or issued a letter grade for research. Um, just because a person is faculty at a college or university doesn't mean they're qualified to write the letter underneath this category um, unless they meet the definition by the medical school. You'll also want to know what is the definition of science versus non-science. In some cases, medical schools will consider engineering coursework to be science. Other medical schools will define science coursework as must be from the BCPM area, so biology, chemistry, physics, or math. So um, you'll want to visit with them. Also, most of the time, a graduate student in a doctoral program who's been teaching a class can write the letter. However, an undergraduate teaching assistant cannot. So even though you may have worked most of the time with a TA for a recitation, that person is not qualified to write a letter to the medical schools. So make sure that you develop relationships with the professors or the graduate students teaching the classes, not just the teaching assistants who might be undergraduates. You also want to secure two to three non-academic references. These could people be people who know you well in your volunteer experiences, your work experiences, or even your research experiences. And those research experiences might be the ones that you did not receive a grade for um, because the graded ones could qualify as faculty. I usually recommend that you have at least five letters secured so that you can use a mix of those for the different medical schools and determine who might be able to provide the best letter to that program. In some instances, you may need to have a letter from a medical professional. If you're applying to an osteopathic school, many of the osteopath schools will require that you have a letter from a DO as an osteopathic physician or from another physician who could talk about your ability to perform in the medical profession once trained. You'll see language many times as you're starting to research the process about a pre-med advisory committee or a pre-med advisory evaluation letter. Um, UNL does not have a type of committee or evaluation process, which means you need to refer to the school's requirements for what they have in lieu of this option. Many times it will be additional faculty letters um, or a different combination of faculty letters since we do not have that committee. If you're here as a post-bac student and you did your undergraduate coursework someplace else, you may need to use the pre-med advisory committee or the evaluation requirement from your school where you earned your bachelor's degree, even though you're doing some of your pre-med coursework here at the university. You'll also see language about a pre-med advisor letter or evaluation. Um, this would be treated as a faculty letter, so you would need to look at your situation and, and ask yourself, does the pre-health advisor know you well enough to write the letter? If the letter is required by your school, then you need to determine if options exist when you do not have a relationship with your pre-health advisor. Once you identify all the letter writers, you want to see what they need from you to be able to write a supportive letter. This might be that narrative resume that you've developed, a draft or a finalized version of your personal comments or your essay. They may want to sit down with you and do some interviews to talk about um, who you are as a person and get to know you outside of their original context. And some of them may require autobiographies or other written statements that would provide more information about your background and who you are and how you come to this place. Because they may require additional information, you'll want to establish a timeline with them for getting those letters and making sure that they have everything they need so that they can write the letters in a timely manner and get it in so your letters or your application, excuse me, is not incomplete at the time of the review. 
Now you can start working on your essay, your personal comments, your narrative. It's called lots of different things by lots of different services. Um, the first thing to do is just begin with a very broad answer to a question. Why do you want to be a doctor? Why are you going into this profession to begin with? And when you're doing this, sit down and either talk about it and transcribe it later, or just ignore character limits and formal writing and just write in very open journal style so that you can get everything down on paper that you kind of have in your mind or that you've been putting together over the years. Um, maybe looking for common themes or something in the writing that most strongly supports your motives for wanting to be in medicine. And this might be the direction then that your essay um, takes. This also could be where you have two or three potential directions for your essay, but then you could talk with somebody who knows you well that could help you figure out which one speaks most strongly to who you are as a person and really is a personal essay that sounds like you and not just someone else who's writing it. Try to avoid people who would offer suggestions of what you should write for your essay if that's not something that you have really felt strongly about and doesn't feel like it represents you. Look for things, and this is where doing that broad journaling can be helpful to begin with because you're putting your thoughts down on paper and then from there you're getting feedback about how this can look in the writing. Once you have something to work with, and that broad writing might mean you have five to ten pages of thoughts down on paper, now you can start applying your character and word limits. For most cases, the application character limits for AMCAS is 5,300 characters, including spaces. For the osteopathic application, it's 4,500 characters, including spaces. You'll want to make sure that when you are writing both of these, they don't necessarily need to sound the same, especially if you are very familiar with the osteopath. Um, tradition, you'll probably want your essay to reflect that more closely rather than just sounding like a generic, I want to be a doctor essay. Use the language of osteopath will be a stronger essay for a comus. Start to rewrite your essay as you start to narrow down your character counts. Use feedback and pay now attention to the proper grammar, punctuation, and professional writing. We really want to avoid cliches and broad statements that you cannot qualify. If you can qualify, I want to help people, that can be okay for you. If you cannot qualify some of the statements you say, um, this will trip you up in an interview process and also will not be supported by the rest of your application. And now you can start thinking about how to prepare for interviews. The interview process will be an assessment of your interpersonal and communication skills. They're looking for that consistency of message when they Look at you on paper, does it represent who they see in person? There will be a lot of different interview formats that you'll eventually encounter, including individual, group, and as I mentioned at the beginning in the glossary, the MMI, which is the multi-mode format of interviewing. You want to prepare for them in advance. Unfortunately, we cannot prepare you for the group. We can certainly talk with you about the MMI. Uh, mock interviews will be suited more towards preparing you for the individual communication that you'll be doing and getting you comfortable with answering questions in a formal format. Mock interviews are sponsored by the Explore Center and Career Services throughout the year, so you can sign up for one of these at any time just to see what the process would, be look, would look like. And then as you get closer to the actual interviews, you can become a little bit more serious about preparing. You'll also want to prepare by either saving up money or investing now in a new suit or your professional attire so that you have that in place at the time that an actual interview would come up so you're not stressed trying to find your wardrobe right before an interview. Um, 
Also pay attention that the interview process is your chance to select the program. So you'll want to research what you want from that particular medical school. What programs would you like to learn more about? What programs do you want to make sure that you have a chance to see or talk to somebody about when you're interviewing? And if you start to think about these things over this next year, it'll also help you decide whether you want to apply to medical school. So kind of in, in conclusion, you'll want to go through this presentation and lay out a checklist of your steps to apply. What do you need to work on? What have you done? What have you not done? And start to develop these and check in on a regular basis with your advisors to see if there are things that you need um, help with or if there are things that you need more resources to access. Want to research your options early, visit programs if possible. This might mean instead of going to Jamaica for your spring break, you travel to Chicago and check out some medical schools. But if you have a chance, visit programs. Um, also establish a budget for the application. As we talk about in other presentations and you start to look at things, the process to apply is not cheap. So you'll want to make sure that you have access to financial resources to help you with it. And also remember to look at the fee assistance program if you qualify. And then use the resources available to you. There should be no surprises in this process. You've made the decision that you want to be in the medical profession and you've been thinking about this for a while. Otherwise, you would not have been taking the science courses all along. So be sure you know what's coming up in the application process and look at all of the application services and the information available to you well in advance of actually starting the process. And be sure to not start a current application thinking that that information will carry forward because it does not. Use the resources available, but do not start something that you will not be able to finish because it's not the correct application. Um, use the information available instead. And contact us whenever you have questions. Again, we're the Explore Center. We're located in 33 Canfield, and we're available for walk-ins and appointments.